Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind, the podcast devoted to 80s entertainment and beyond. We are now into the year 1991, and we're going to be discussing the action films of 91. Yes, we're going to miss a few things, uh, like Robin Hood, uh, that's uh, going to be in another show. But uh, my friend Rob, speaking of Rob's, um, is on the, the other side here. Hey, how's it going, everybody? I don't know. I feel like I tripped over my own words there. I don't know. I get <laughs> I get this weird nervous energy sometimes where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just swimming as fast as I can. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I have the same thing. The you know, I've been hosting my own show for like how long? And every time I'm about to record an episode, it's like you have everything planned, and then it just becomes like as soon as you hit record, it's like uh 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 fuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if I stumble over anything, it's amazing. If I can even finish an intro without stumbling, it's it's a miracle. But um, <laughs> so we originally had four action movies picked here, but we realized somewhere along the way we got one confused and one we forgot. So we're going to go for a smorgasbord here of six action films of 1991. I'm going to try to go in chronological order, if I remember correctly. Um, does that sound good to you? No, that's fine. Okay, so uh, I believe the first movie released in 1991 of this batch is Lionheart, a.k.a. Leon. Um, with a or fine... A-Wall. What's that? A-Wall. Yeah, it's, or it's Ron Bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's known as so many things among, yeah. among so many so many territories. <laughs> uh, you know, of course, for so long we had only ever, I think most of it had only ever seen the American edition that was released by Universal Studios, produced by uh, the very underrated, but I think finally starting to get some traction in the action world is Imperial Pictures. Uh, yes. They're first, no, they're second of the Van Damme deal, right? Cause uh, Black Eagle? Yeah, 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 yeah. Black Eagle, I believe, was one of theirs as well. Yeah, that was the one that they released on their own and barely got released. And uh, Lionheart's the first pickup, I believe, they had with uh, Universal. And I think they did um, Sun Death and Double Dragon. I don't think there was another one. That's a big gap. That's like a three and a half year yeah. gap. Wow, I guess Imperial didn't have anything that Universal wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Um, but this is, I think, my opinion, uh, his best competition movie of the four. I know some people think I'm crazy. Uh, I've never been that big on uh, uh, Bloodsport, and I think the ego kind of gets in the way of the quest. And Lionheart is just there. It's it's all heart. He worked on the story with Sheldon Leddick. I think Sheldon is the one who I think really brings out the best in him at times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, Sheldon knows how to, like, put together a, a good Van Damme movie. And plus, Van Damme always trusts... Uh, uh, um, Van Damme always trusts Sheldon, you know what I'm saying? So that's why they they work together so many times. But uh, no, I agree. Um, out of like I have my my bias, I'm completely biased toward Bloodsport because that was the thing that kicked it off my love affair with Van Damme. But uh, Lionheart is um, just a fucking magnificent movie, and uh, it, it's basically his most, uh, in my opinion, his most emotionally um, just incredible movie. The, it's just a damn fine just you know uh this why i'll get into it but you know it's it's a lot of reasons why i love van damme and like his career and stuff and like the, the movies he did and why he's always been my favorite of all the action stars that uh you know the big group of you know the planet hollywood guys like stallone and schwarzenegger and all that stuff the van damme has always been my favorite and this is one is a perfect example of why yeah, well, I think also 91 is the year that it opened the gates for a whole new audience because before this, it's almost exclusively men. But Lionheart, yeah. Double Impact, and Nowhere to Run, which would come like a year and a half after um, Double Impact, what 
I think is why women started going, oh my god. Not, I mean, it's not, he's more than just like a cute butt. He, yeah. uh, and he still to this day shows that he has this emotional range that a lot of the other ones, the, the big action stars, can't tap into. Even today, I think the only person I can compare, and I might be nuts here, is uh, Batista. He wears his heart on a sleeve. Yeah, yeah. Batista is a great example. Um, but like, yeah, Van Damme, when, when it comes to Van Damme, he's always been like, the most emotionally available even even in you know in his uh, beginning of his career like me and uh, uh my buddy larry uh larry sunshine we, we've always talked about how um van has always been a good actor like even when people would like consider him a bad one like like you know Bloodsport and kickboxer like we we think it's his accent that really just gets in the way you know because if uh, if you really just clear out the accent, his line delivery is just um, really great and a lot of stuff. It's just the very thick fucking accent that he has that yeah. just really just fucks up a lot of his line deliveries. Well, then he, I, had, he had no acting lessons, as far as I know. Yeah. So, I mean, it was yeah, just yeah. a continual growth for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's one of the ones that just constantly, you know, concentrated on that, which is why... Uh, you see him now it, where he's acting in, in movies. He's just, you know, phenomenal. Like, of course, like JCVD, uh, Until Death um, is, is, is a great movie. I, uh, I stand by my statement yeah. that Until Death is a great really, movie. Yeah, and I think Enemies Closer is one that people didn't see and yes. forgot, but well directed by Peter Hyams. But he yep. gets to play the villain, and he's having a ball. I wish he'd play the oh, villain more often. Yeah, he's he's fucking fantastic in Enemies Closer, and a lot of you could tell a lot of the 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 shit that his character does in that movie is just like his his choices. Like that's that's like uh, in Enemies Closer when uh, he's walking through the forest and he sees a strawberry. He's like, I didn't know you grew in this part of the forest. He's like that's a Van Damme choice right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I think in this one, I think they realize that he's good in a duo as well. Because if you... I'm trying to think. I feel like he was solo in all of his other movies. No, no. Dennis Chan. He works really well off of Dennis Chan in uh, Kickboxer. And maybe Sean Leddick saw something there that he needs someone to bounce off of. And I think Harrison Page is severely underrated. He he is critical to this movie to make it work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Harrison Page uh, really is just absolutely phenomenal in the movie like he he definitely has the most uh he he helps uh well with you know um collaboration with van damme in the scene like they the two of them basically have the most heartfelt moment in the movie to me which is of course uh you know we're getting ahead of ourselves but um uh after the final fight when uh where it's revealed that uh um uh, he has a bet against him, and you know, you know, leads to that iconic moment. Wrong bet, and uh, they fight, and like as Leon is being led away, you know, he's there, and he's just like the the way he holds his, like he could barely look at him, you know what I'm saying? And just like he he knows he fucked up, and he's like, you know, you you definitely got a lot of heart, and, you know, don't let them take that away from you, you know. I've been there, and he goes to walk away. And Leon's just like, nah, come here, man. Like, you know, you're still my boy. You just, you know, you just made a mistake. And they, they start hugging and crying. And it's just like, that moment gets me every fucking time I see that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I always remember the just... scene where he he does it because he believes he's going to die. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, they're going to kill you. Don't you know that? 
You know, they're begging yeah. him. It's like, what are you doing? You're insane. Because, you know, uh, Attila <laughs> is the size of a fucking Mack truck. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah, most definitely. Not that good yeah. of a fighter, though, honestly. I mean, he's just very big moves. And I think that's how Van Damme really... I mean, if you're going to go into some sort of strategy here, Van Damme's a lot uh, faster and more, yeah. uh, more agility than Attila. He's just a fucking like giant robot just smashes you into the ground. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, he's he's basically just all size, you know. And uh, I always find it funny too because he, he he's like for a dude that big, he does okay in the fight. But like, yeah, it, it's obvious that Leon is the the better fighter of the two. It's just that you know uh, his rib is fucked up, which is you know uh, hampers him in the fight. But um, immediately when uh, after Leon gets a second wind, it's almost like Attila just forgets how to fight. I always laugh at that one scene. Like, uh, uh, he, um, what does he do? He like he does the fucking spinning kick on him, and uh, Attila just gets back and points at him. You was like, why the, <laughs> why, why the fuck would you do this? Yeah, and then he kicks his hand. <laughs> <laughs> like exactly, like that's what you you deserve that shit because that's the stupidest thing to do in a fight. Yeah, I mean, it, I realize a lot of the formula for this has already been laid down. You know, the the multi fighters that you get, you know, wild variety. It's already been the groundwork's been laid in Bloodsport and Kickboxer, giving him a yeah. family to fight for, giving him a sidekick. But somehow this one's cemented. I think it also helps um, that it's a bigger budget, six million dollars, and it's also mm. uh, well, it, it's it's Canada, but it feels more relatable, I believe, because it's not in some weird exotic place that you can't connect to mentally. Yeah, 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 and th and that's the thing I was talking about w with Van Dam because um, I, I use a I use a, a a good like contrast with like him and Steven Seagal, which was his big rival. Um, that like a lot of people would like to point out that like oh he's just playing to his strengths, you know, the tournament fighter. But like it it it, it works because like you know the, obviously the plot of the movie is that you know leon uh his brother gets killed in in a whole gang hit kind of thing and his family's left with all these bills and you know they they can't make it because they're struggling so he basically enters this underground fighting ring in order to help support them financially and you know that that's to total van damme you know because if it was uh seagal to make lionheart it would have 100% been about him tracking down the people who killed the brother. Yeah. And and it would have been just him bitch slapping them all around. He would have ended up he would have ended up fucking the sister-in-law midway through the movie. Oh yeah, and then oh, and the whole time he would put on like every time he'd meet a black guy, he would be like, "What's up, brother?" Get all of a sudden getting that that uh, fake accent that he does like in Alfred Justice oh, one yeah. every movie. I don't know what the hell. No one's ever called Seagal out on this shit. Yeah, that 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 that's, that that fucking real cringy shit. I was thinking about the fucking um. Remember that, uh, what was that uh, movie, uh, Today You Die, one of his fucking director video oh, movies that yeah, he did with Dredge? Yeah. yeah, he's just like, he's just like real cringy dude, using that black voice, and it's just like, oh, dude. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you know, if, if it would have been a uh, Seagal had star, it would have been exactly that. It would have been 90 minutes, he would have tracked down and killed all the people who, who killed his brother, uh, his sister-in-law would have became his woman, the end. Yeah. Oh, oh and everybody knows who he is. I think what works about Van Damme and why we connect to him so well is because he's always a fish out of water. I can't think of any movie where he wasn't 
for so long, it's always like, oh, you're not from here. You're in a place that you weren't originated from. Whereas Seagal was always like, oh, he owns this neighborhood. Everybody knows who he is, you know? <laughs> That's yeah, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, I mean, obviously they had no choice because he can't hide the accent. So no. They, they, they have to fucking make it about, the, oh, he's like from Canada, Montreal or something. Or like he... He, he grew up in France, but like he came over here like a few years ago, kind of thing. Yeah, well, in this uh, one, it makes it, it's a big part of the plot is because he's on the run from uh, the Legion. What is it even called? The Legion? Yeah, the Foreign Legion. Yeah, the French Foreign Legion. And can they technically come over here? And, I'm not sure they're allowed to extradite. I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, uh, yeah, like, uh, that's a big plot point, too, because he's on the run from, from, from the two guys. Well, one of them being played by uh, Mikhail Quissy, who, of course, played Tong Po in uh, Kickboxer. And uh, actually, the Attila is his brother, um, the, which is uh, the, also the, one of the few people that Van Ant has fought twice in a movie. Of course, the other ones being Bolo Young and Dolph Lundgren and Scott Atkins. Who's the so, big dude that was in Maximum Risk? He uh, is in this. He was in Cyborg. Do you know what I'm talking about? The really big fucking yeah, dude yeah, like the Russian Yeah, man? yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, his name escapes me at the moment. But, uh, yeah, he was in that. Uh, uh, he's most prominently known for being his nemesis in Maximum Risk. But, yeah, he was also in Cyborg. Um, he was also in uh, Martial Outlaw, if I remember correctly. Um He's a, he's unfortunately passed away. I like. Oh I found no! That not, not too, yeah, not too long ago, I, uh, I I was looking him up and I saw that he passed away, which is incredibly unfortunate because he was such a good, intimidating figure in action yeah, movies. I got him here. It's Stefanos Miltisakis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, what I've noticed about Van Damme is he's pretty lo loyal to his own people, especially when it comes to martial arts, because he can trust them. Like he knows how to work with them on the screen. Um, yeah. And that's extremely important because you can cause some serious problems. You can fuck up a stunt. Oh yeah, most definitely. You know, so yeah, like Van Damme just like using like same old people. You know, his friends. You know, because Van Damme's always been like a friendly guy. You know, so yeah, it's a thing that Schwarzenegger did too. I think he was pretty loyal. He would give work yeah. to his uh, friends who you know were reliable. Um, yeah, like uh, like Sven. Yeah, Sven Olthorsen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Frank Colombo. Franco Colombo. Um, oh yeah! I can't wait. We have we. I don't think we've done a single Schwarzenegger movie since Red Heat. I know that seems like it's not that long ago, three years, but it seems like forever in Schwarzenegger world. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Most definitely. The, um, yeah, like uh, even on my own shows, like I still haven't done a Schwarzenegger film yet. I'm, I'm I need to remedy that soon and shit. Yeah. But you know. Well, this one was a big hit. Uh, like I said, six million dollars made. Uh, Twenty four. Universal offered him a huge deal. Um, after yes. this, I believe it was for eight million. No, well, it was an escalating thing. It was two point three for Hard Target, like five or six for Time Cop, and then eight for Street Fighter. And he was supposed to continue with them, but he also had a strong relationship with Columbia Pictures for a very long time. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm just gonna skip ahead real quick because we'll, we'll bounce back to Perfect Weapon. But Double Impact is the first like real blowout from that company, and. Not originally theirs, if I remember correctly. This was from Michael Douglas's short-lived company. Uh, yeah. What the fuck was it called? Stone Productions or something? Yeah, Stone it was like, yeah like, like Stone Group Productions. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, the only, as far as I know, they only ever did uh, this and Stone Cold. And at the time, 
I didn't know that almost all of the money they had set aside for Double Impact, they had to go throw into Stone Cold, which one turned out to be a hit. <laughs> yeah, 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 most definitely. And it's and it's weird too because it's like you know you think of uh, Michael Douglas as you know this really uh, I, I don't, maybe classy is not the, word, the right word. But like, you know, this big, you know, really uh, well-respected actor, you know what I'm saying? Of course, won the Oscar for Wall Street and doing all these movies and all that stuff. And like... Highbrow. Produced... That's what I'll say. Highbrow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely. And it's like, he produced this and Stone Cold? Like, it, it's so not like on brand for him, but it's like, hey, you know, maybe he's a secret action fan and he likes these movies. So, I mean, all power to him. I mean, he did do Black Rain, but that was more like a classy version yeah. of like... Yeah, and I know later he would do like Face Off and originally these movies that he would produce yes. were originally set up for him to star and he just changed his mind. There's no way that he was ever considered to be the lead in either one of these movies. Yeah, I mean, he was he was also set up to be like the co-lead with Gina Davis in uh, Cut the Rhode Island. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he backed out. Yeah, um, yeah he, he backed out when they kind of like uh, uh, shortened his role in order to boister up uh, Gina Davis' character. And he was like, now nah, fuck this, I'm out of here. And it's like, I mean, I would have loved to have appreciated him in, uh, uh, you know, uh, Cut the Rhode Island. But I'm kind of glad we got Matthew Modine instead because yeah, he's great. Yeah, gave him uh, a shine and a light again. Um but this yeah. one, uh, $12 million, I think originally it was supposed to be 15 They took three out of the budget, throw it into Stone Cold. Uh, they didn't waste it on Stone Cold. I know it bombed, but it looks good. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sheldon Lennox back. And uh, the first time, I think this is the first time he plays uh, another version of himself. Because, well, he got Replicant and Maximum Risk. Is there another one? Mm -hmm. uh, not that I know of, if I'm thinking off the top of my head. Um, I think that's it, uh, Maximum Risk and Replicant. Yeah, and this uh, one, he really taps in. I mean, Sheldon must have seen something in him in his comedy because he really taps into a different version of Andam you don't get to see very much. And uh, not only is he just sleazy, uh, crime, you know, kind of uh, greaseball brother, but he's also the extremely charming, very funny, out of his element brother. And I, I think this is a great showcase for him and it really changed his career. Yeah, good old Chad. <laughs> I like I like that that you know he's kind of like sweet natured, but he's also kind of like a um, a, a pure Chad. You know, yeah. so he's all about <laughs> dopey horn he's, dog. He's all, <laughs> yeah, all all about the ladies and all that stuff. Like like when we're introduced to Chad, like you know he's teaching an aerobics class, and you know while he's helping massage the ladies' legs, beautiful, you're doing well. <laughs> and, <laughs> I always love that part. He's like because of my big legs and karate. I can do the splits, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one just bitches about his black silk underwear. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the iconic line. Uh, I, I would never in my life wear black silk underwear. <laughs> like that's a huge problem. It's fucking underwear. Why is this a thing? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why it's a big deal, but like you know, uh, uh, Alex is just you know. <laughs> an invented jerk bag, you know, but, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, he's, he's great in both roles, like, you know, really showing his range, even though, of course, because of the accent, they have to find a, a reason to explain, because they're twins separated at birth, but they both have French accents. Uh, yeah, what? <laughs> so, I'm sorry, if they're both dropped off in France, or maybe one was dropped off in Quebec... Uh, yeah, that would make sense, <laughs> but no, that's not what happened. Right, right. Like the, the explanation is that uh, when they were separated, uh, uh, Frank 
took Chad and raised him in France, and he just so happened to drop him off at, at a uh, monastery or whatever that just happened to be run by French people. It was a French monastery in Hong Kong. So this is why they both have French accents, even though they're separated at birth. God, it seems like it's been so fucking long since Hong Kong was its own thing. And yeah, now, yeah. that's what depresses me a lot. It's not just because, of course, the people are now being enslaved, but it's also like their movies are starting to disappear. They're they're coming mm-hmm. in and chopping them up, and I just it fucking bothers me to no end. But this this is a time when they you know Hong Kong was its own thing, and I kind of like the timepiece it is. It also the fact that you get to see some of these classic action stars of like directed video movies that you and I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, either they're, they're kind of debuting or they're getting uh, you know a big spot. Like Bolo Young was already in Bloodsport, but this seems like a much bigger role and gave him more to do. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, a, a particular action fan favorite of mine is Evan Laurie, who only did oh, maybe yeah. like a dozen movies. Uh, lives in outside uh, out, uh, outer Indiana, sorry, outer Indianapolis in Carmel, and I heard he owns an art gallery there, and I would love to go there. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about that too as well, uh, that uh, he retired from acting after doing like such wonderful classics as uh, American Kickboxer 2 and uh, Hologram Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm a particular big fan of Hologram Man. Um, but uh, going back to what you were saying about the Hong Kong thing, like Van Damme is really the catalyst for bringing like Hong, pure Hong Kong cinema to the masses in, in America because, uh, I mean, you still had like people taking from Hong Kong action movies. Like, of course, Stallone did it in Tango and Cash when he took uh, the, 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 tra- uh, the truck stop uh, gag from Police Story, but he did it like in a very American way, like the way they shot it. Yeah. Whereas in, in this one, Van Am is doing like pure Hong Kong action like that shootout where like they take you know they, they're fucking blowing up the factory and he gets into a shootout it's like pure John Woo inspiration like you know uh, Van Damme is dual wielding and you know leaping through the air in slow motion while firing two guns and it's like it's pure Hong Kong stuff like I guess you know cause he did uh, when he did his first major movie uh, uh, Bloodsport uh, they shot it in Hong Kong and um, I know that Bloodsport sat on the shelf for a while before it was eventually released in February of 88, so it probably had to be shot in, like, what, late 86? Early yeah, 87? Yeah, I believe, yeah, it was, it was supposed to, like, uh, I have that book around here, I'm gonna send it to you, where he has an interview about all his movies, and yeah, he, uh, he shot it in mid-86, um, and then it just sat there, and sat there, and sat there, and he had to convince Canon Pictures not to send it straight to video, because they didn't know what to do with it, and it was edited horribly, and yeah. what you see in those action movies, especially early on in his editing style, especially in the multi kicks from different angles, uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. it's a, it's one kick with, from shot from different angles. That's his mm-hmm. style. He he came yeah. up with that. He has controlled his career, I think, better than a lot of action stars because um, he knew what works best uh, in in the camera. So it makes sense why he would direct the quest. But I just mm-hmm. I, I don't think it just it works. I think I wish like to see something else. Whatever happened to that other movie he directed, uh, the Eagle Path or Soldiers oh. or Full Love or what do you oh. want to call it? Oh yeah, that uh, we've been waiting. The, the, uh, I'll I'll believe that movie actually exists when I see it, but uh, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. No <laughs> but uh, 
but like 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 I was saying, like so when he was filming it at this time, like he ha- he was definitely in the midst of when John Woo became blew up and became a big thing in Hong Kong after the release of uh, a Better Tomorrow, and then like you know a Better Tomorrow came out in '86, then a Better Tomorrow Two came out in '87. It was these big hits, so he was there right in the midst of the explosion of the John Woo style of action, you know, the double fisted gunfire and all that stuff, and. Obviously, uh, it, it, it took to him because he, he appropriated it for um, this movie, like, you know, in the, sh- the big shootout in this movie. But, like, the, the, the special thing about him is that he made sure that the style was intact. He wasn't just doing an Americanized version of it. He was making sure it was pure Hong Kong version. And then, of course, he took it a step further when he was actually collaborating with Hong Kong action directors, you know, like first John Woo, then Ringo Lam, then Choi Hawk, you know what I'm saying? So we really have Van Damme to thank for like uh, being the catalyst for the explosion of Hong Kong action directors coming to America and becoming a big thing, which led to, of course, uh, like, you know, their stars coming over here, like Jackie Chan and Chow Yun-Fat and yeah. Jet Li and all that stuff. So it, it, it really just, it, it all goes back to Van Damme. So, you know, shout out to him for that. And this finally broke him out of the uh, the fighting, the, you know, more yeah. of a, more of a co- uh, instead of copying like the Bruce Lee um, uh, Enter the Dragon model, uh, yeah. yeah, like you said, it started turning into the John Woo model, and that changed his career a lot because it wasn't just fight sequences, it was guns and explosions and stuff like that, and, and thicker plots than normal. Uh, big hit, $31 million in the summer where it was just clustered with great action movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but sadly, the uh, two, actually I don't think any other action movies really made a profit. Uh, so Stone Cold got um, the, all that extra money that Double Impact was supposed to get. I think Double Impact still looks great, but Stone Cold has some of the best fucking stunts. That end is so great, but it didn't make a dime. I think it made like $3 million or something, and that was the beginning and end of Brian Bosler's career, and I think it's a damn shame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we definitely have uh, the great Craig R. Baxley to thank for that film being as credible as it is, you know, him being a career stuntman, going all the way back to... Uh, the being a stuntman on the Warriors, the, uh, you know that masterpiece of cinema. Uh, of course, he was a, a second unit director, uh, directed a few episodes of the A Team. He was the the second unit director on Predator, uh, directed the the incredible Action Jackson, and of course, I Come in Peace, also Dark Angel. And I think this Stone Cold is just the the film that with Craig R. Baxley showed showed him off as just like the like it's out of the three movies that he did the, the three major movies that we know him for Action Jackson uh I Come in Peace and Stone Cold Stone Cold is definitely his best one because it's just so goddamn wild yeah uh it, yeah you have Boz being the Boz and he's fantastic in it but then fucking have charisma the, dude how is it that no other movie's able to capture his charisma he's a stiff fucking bored and everything else I've seen him in I liked him in uh, One Man's Justice uh, I thought he was I, I haven't I, seen uh, him forever but I don't I didn't recall him having much energy but I could be wrong yeah like you know he's playing like you know man on the mission you know uh you know, revenge plot, but yeah. the, I thought he was really good in that. But that movie is fucking amazing. I love One Man's Justice. But uh, this one, I think, is really helped by the fact that you combine the the incredible talents of Lance Henriks- Henriksen and William Forsythe in it. 
who are playing the two major heavies of the movie, uh, Ice and Chains. Uh, <laughs> and, and they're just fucking amazing in it. Like, uh, I know they, they, they both admitted that they improvised a lot of their lines. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, like uh, when uh, William Forsyth calls Brian Bosworth, the, he looks like a grown-up version of Bam Bam. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, William Forsyth is in three movies in the spring mm-hmm. of 91. Out for Justice, this, mm-hmm. and he has a bit part in Career Opportunities. That's a lot of work in a very short period of time. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, uh, yeah, I haven't seen Career Opportunities in a while, but uh, the simple fact that he was able to do both Out for Justice, you know, uh, that incredible, just phenomenal performance in Alpha Justice is Richie Madano. Uh, and this, where he's just absolutely, he's equally as fantastic as he is in that. Although, like, he's basically playing the secondary villain. Um, it, it's just it, it incredible, like, you know, that's a one-two punch for that man that solidified him as one of uh, our greatest uh, character actors as well as the greatest movie villains ever. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, he's just so fantastic. And then, like, you know, he's right there next to Henriksen, of course, who's just one of the greatest actors who ever lived. Um, uh, I, I will I, I will die on that hill. And I, I, I know many people will, that uh, Henriksen is just one of the greatest ever to ever do it. And he's just fantastic with his greasy mullets and, you know, <laughs> and, and walk around with that, uh, that, that shirt off. And literally, one of my, all, delivers one of my all-time favorite lines ever said in the movie you, you you know which one i'm talking about right actually no i didn't know um it's the like at the end of course when they're taking over like the capitol building oh god that sounds so cringy to say now yeah um, i didn't even think about that until this moment <laughs> right, right but when uh he's about to you know uh, crack the whip and he's like it's times like this when i think of my father's last words which were don't son that gun is loaded <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Which I think is a line that he he improvised because um, uh, Craig Arbeckley allowed them like, yeah, 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 you know what I'm saying? Go for it. You know what I'm saying? Do what you want. So they would come up with these lines because, you know, they both thought, uh, him and Forsyth both thought the script was shit. So like, yeah, like, you know, do what you want. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and like, they would come up with these great lines and that one is just, oh my God, chef's kiss. <laughs> it, it's just wonderful. Yeah, sadly, that was a bomb, and it ended his career. Another movie that still to this day shocks me because it was not a bomb. You look on paper, The Perfect Weapon is not a bomb. It made $16 million. It cost six. Right. How the fuck does he not have a career after that? I don't get that. They're so desperate at this time to find anybody to turn to the next Van Damme and Steven Seagal, and it seemed like all the studios gave up instantly. But of all of them, like, okay, I get Excessive Force. It made like $3 million. Only The Strong made like six. This was a hit. And Paramount did yes. sign him, and he ends up going to Canon. Look, I, I'm, I know people love Canon, but at this point, Street Night comes out, and Canon Pictures is on the ropes. They are out. Of yeah. Money. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, um, I actually uh, detailed this a little bit uh, when I talked about uh, Scream on my show. I mean, not Scream, uh, Speed. Uh, I got Scream on the brain. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, he had, uh, like, like you said, he had signed a, a deal with Paramount to, to distribute his movies through um, Mark DeSalle, uh producer. Of course, he's the one who also was instrumental in bringing Van Damme uh, to, to the big screen. He produced uh, Bloodsport. Uh, he co-directed Kickboxer as well as produced it. Uh, as well, he he also produced uh, Death Warrant, which we talked about last time. Um, 
and uh, they were in a struggle to control his career, uh, Speakman. And uh, it, it really, you know, they were going back and forth. Uh, they wanted to buy Speakman out of his contract with the Saul, but he was unwilling to let them go unless they paid him like, I don't know, like uh, it was a couple million, I, I believe, and they were just unwilling to do that. So that's why Speakman, you know, sat for so long without a movie until Street Night came out because that, that's what he was. The, the next movie he was going to do was Speed because oh it was at Paramount God. at that time. What a um, fuck up! What a massive yeah. fuck up! Hold on, I'm actually kind of happy that version didn't happen because, you know. Speakman being a martial artist, you know, in that movie, you know, we've all seen Speed, so we know how it goes. Uh, you know, it has this incredible premise. A bus can't slow down below 50 miles per hour or it would explode. So it's on a nonstop chase. But because, you know, you have this martial art star, they have to figure out a way to incorporate fight scenes oh, into it. Okay. And, and, and they would be writing the script so that there would be moments like there would be intervals where the bus could stop which would allow <laughs> which would allow speakman to get off the bus and have fight scenes no that is, isn't okay never mind yes. you know he can he's capable of doing a movie without fight sequences because he hardly has anything in the expert and that's maybe his best movie yeah yeah like i i actually detailed on our speed episode that there are moments and that you could have incorporated fight scenes without having to resort to having the bus slow down or stop. Like, you know, you could have did one in, in the elevator opening sequence. You could have did one, uh, uh, you could have had a fight scene on the bus. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know it's a cramped space, but uh, like, uh, at that around that time, you had the specialist, which had a fight scene on the bus, and that yeah. worked well, great. Well, say nobody uh, pulled it off, <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nobody nobody pulls a, a shows that you can pull off a fight scene on the bus. Uh, also, uh, Shang-Chi uh, shows off you can pull off a fight, great fight scene on the bus. And, like, you know, there are other moments. Like, you could have, like, the way I detailed it, you could have had five fight scenes added to the movie without having to resort to stopping the bus. Yeah. You know? But like I, I don't I don't know what scriptwriters they had working on the project, but obviously they, they didn't think of that. They they weren't smart enough to think about. Not saying I'm smarter than them, but um, you, you, they just uh, couldn't crack it. So their idea was we'll have the bus stop, so speaking can get off and fight people. <laughs> you know? And it's just like no, no, you're defeating the purpose of the entire yeah. premise of that movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, there isn't much to say about this one. He has charisma. He's a good-looking actor. He had decent talent, especially considering it's his first like real role. Um, and the action is great. I, I to this day, I, the kata sticks, the, his style, Ken Po fighting. I I love it. Uh, I even have my own phone. Okay, they're dorky. They're foam kata. They're kata sticks, right? Mm -hmm, yeah, okay. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I have foam ones around here, and I just like to pretend I'm still at forty-five. Still pretend I'm just speaking, beating up my mattress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he uh, fucking uh, it's it's one of the most uh, incredible displays of martial arts, especially the uh, American Kempo Karate, but you know, which was you know, done by the great Ed Parker, and uh, it's it's one it's still one of the most visually exciting um, martial arts movies to this day, in my opinion, especially in the scene where uh, he fights the three dudes in the in the gym as uh, one of them being of course uh the great james lou yeah and he just uh, he just unloads on him and that one that one fucking uh you know the uh that one scene and shit like like it's way like what like five edits where he's just fucking 
and it's still one of the the greatest eviscerations of a bad guy in martial arts movie history. Like he just fucking unloads on poor James Liu with fucking <laughs> with, with, with his kenpo and shit, and it's glorious. Yeah, and this also has just like a greatest hits of awesome Asian actors at the time: Mako, James Hong, Dante Basco, Seth Sakai, <laughs> Clyde Kasudo, who I think is very underrated. Uh, Professor yeah, yeah. Toro Tanaka, Kerry Hiroki Tagawa. Is this the first time we saw him? I feel like it was. Am I wrong? What uh, uh, Kerry Tagawa? Yeah, was he in a movie before this? Uh, he was in License to Kill. That was the, that was I think the first time people okay. probably had a good. Uh, eye on him in, in, a, in, a, in a movie like this but uh, yeah like I, I, I first remember seeing him in a showdown in Little Tokyo which I think came out right or like five months after this one good lord there's so many 1991 movies what the fuck there's no way we can yeah, do yeah. all of them <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so th- that one sadly and it was also like what didn't help his career is that the perfect weapon kind of disappeared for a while I feel like it was yeah. it was hard to get on VHS. It, was, it wasn't put on DVD until a few years ago, and now finally, it's, actually, I don't even know if it was ever put on DVD. I think it went straight to Blu-ray. Um, no, no, it was it was put on DVD. Uh, I believe I believe it was Olive Films that did it. Yeah. Oh well, but, they must have done it both at the same time then, because I was thinking they hadn't done a DVD before the Blu-ray. They must have done Olive must have done the DVD and Blu-ray at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is us on our list? I'm, I've lost on here. Uh, chronologically, I think we're on uh, the taking of Beverly Hills. Mm. Oh, God, so much fun. Yes, I get that in a way it's kind of a diehard knockoff the way it's filmed and some of the cast members and you know uh, Ken Wall. Sadly, he didn't get the same career treatment that Bruce Willis did with Die Hard. This is uh, I think only two movies that he did in the theaters after Wise Guy, uh, and sadly broke his neck. Uh, yeah. So that didn't help any. But yeah, the, did you hear the, how he broke his neck? Yes. Oh my God, he was stepping backwards on a flight of stairs, cheating on uh, Roddy <laughs> Dangerfield's wife was cheating on him or something. Yeah, she she, she was cheating on him with Ken, and uh, he was he was I think he was in his robe. Uh, he was walking up the stairs, down the stairs, and he tripped and fell and broke his neck falling down the stairs. He told I know the, the oh like he was in like a like an accident like I think like a motorcycle accident is how it happened but then he eventually revealed that no I was a home wrecker I was fucking Ronnie Dangerfield's wife why he wasn't home yeah. and I fell down the stairs yeah Jesus but, Christ but before the, all that this is his showcase and it, it's sad yeah. it's not so much that uh, that it bombed because it's not good it's it bombed because it ended up in one of these weird. Uh, contract negotiation, lost film. Do you remember how it was like, like it was with Nelson Entertainment? They're the ones who produced it, but they weren't supposed to release it. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I believe it was. I believe it was, wasn't it supposed to be Orion that released it? Yeah, but then Orion, that's yeah, had... they they ran out of money, so they shut everything down, and then Nelson took it over to New Line, but New Line didn't have the funds because they weren't expecting to get the movie. They, they didn't set yeah. aside, so they put it like on 300 screens and it made yeah, like two, dumped it. Yeah, like two and a half million, but that was another one that was lost for ages until Kino put it out on Blu-ray. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's shot in Mexico. It's supposed to look like Beverly Hills and it only cost like $10 million. But I don't see the scamping. No, I mean, there's so much action in this and there's some of the who's who's of greatest action stunt guys. 
I mean, if you got Brasco and Richmond, you're good right there. Yeah. <laughs> you got Lee yes. Ving, you're good. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Branscombe, Richmond, and Ken Wall are dueling in this movie for who has the greatest mullet. Yeah. Uh, great action, great music. Rich. I mean, I, the money yeah. they spent on getting a great soundtrack, and they didn't lose it when it came to, to Blu-ray, which I'm happy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And highly underrated, Matt Frewer is his sidekick in this, and I think he's a lot of fun. I wish he had more shots. Oh, yeah, yeah. Frewer is just, you know, of course, everybody remembers him from Max Headroom, but he is a hell of a lot of fun as, like, the sidekick. And, yeah, like, um, I, I tell you that, uh, you know, uh, I've told you before about uh, my, my grandmother, Elsie. Uh, she passed away in 2019, and I inherited her VHS collection. And this was one of the VHS she had. And I remember when I used to go over to her house, I used to watch this movie all the time because I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's just, and I remember rewatching it after that and just being like, yeah, man, this is, I, I can see why I fucking love this as a kid and shit. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of fun. It's got a lot of action, big action too. You know what I'm saying? For, for a movie that was just unceremoniously dumped like that, you know, it's like, like that, that scene where they fucking, where they're being chased and they're running down the street and the big fucking truck just crashes into the building and you see it in glorious slow motion. And oh yeah, and like, then all the explosions from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's so many explosions in this fucking movie. Like, you know, it's my kind of movie. I, I, I love all the explosions. I love when shit gets blown up really fucking Yeah. Big. Well, and then and, it's all to, uh, well, it's either Black Cat or it's, uh, uh, shit, what's the song by Faith No More? Epic. Uh, mm. And it's just so big and fun, and uh, yeah, like I said, Matt Frewer's having a lot of fun bouncing off of Ken Wall and the lovely Hartley Jane Kozak. Oh, my crush as a teenager, and the slimy Robert Davi. <laughs> Davi? Davi? Yeah, Davi, Davi. Yeah, yeah, he's a, like he he plays a great prick. Yeah, the and Davi. and uh, this is uh, directed by Sidney J. Fury, one of the kind of forgotten action guys of this time period. Yeah, yeah. The, of course, you know he made you know. Uh, the the absolute classic Iron Eagle, so he will always get a pass from me, um, even though like you know he kind of got fucked over on uh, Superman four. Um, I, I always respected him as, as a as a filmmaker, like you know he was a great workman, like but like he always came in and did the work, and like he always made the best possible version of what that film was. Like you know say what you will about Superman four, uh, you know fucking canon cutting the budget and shit, and you got those chintzy special effects, especially the reuse of fucking that one shot that they reused of Christopher Reeve flying toward the camera. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I still, you know, give Superman four a pass and shit, but and I think that's a lot due to, you know, you know, obviously Christopher Reeve and, and the rest of the cast, but Sidney J Fury is just a, a really fantastic director. And, a, and it's a shame that he doesn't get a lot more respect from people. You know, you bring up his name to people and they'd be like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But they mostly remember him from Iron Eagle. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Where the hell is Iron Eagle 2? Why the fuck can't we get this movie? How is this the one that's lost? (laughs) Yeah, that that was another uh, artisan release that was like, you know, dumped in full screen and all that shit. But uh, like when Cindy J. Fury comes up, you know, of course, Iron Eagle is the one everybody remembers. And it's like, no, dude. Taking a Beverly Hills is also there and shit, and, and it fucking rules. Y'all need to check out Taking a Beverly Hills. This is a damn fucking great action movie, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, what's Our last film is The Last Boy Scout. Well, we're really on the buddy comedies this year. Uh, last Boy mm-hmm. Scout, okay, so this is where I'm going to be kind of a dick. Uh, the movie's really mean. 
that's really mean. It's, it's like the darkest period of Joel Silver. This and Ricochet, boy. I mean, they're they're. Yeah. I'll watch them, and I think they're fine. But I I don't ever feel good after watching them. Well, uh, uh, well, I, I don't know. I have to disagree. I actually really. Uh, I mean, yes, it is mean spirited, very mean spirited. That's a good reason why. Um, I know uh, a lot of a lot of people that even worked on the movie didn't like it. I, I know Bruce Willis uh, doesn't look fondly upon it. Uh, also, because he didn't get along with Damon Wayans. Yeah, I which heard is weird that. because yeah. they, they they have great chemistry together. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, due to because they're consummate professionals. But um, and, and and the day and age when Bruce Willis was a consummate professional and actually, <laughs> I don't know. I heard stories about Hudson Hawk. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um. Uh, I know Michael Kamen did the score as a favor, but he hated the fucking movie when he saw it. Um, uh, uh, Tony Scott doesn't uh, fucking look fondly upon it either. The you know the the great the late great uh, Tony Scott, where to the point where he actually uh, came up with a parody version of Joe Silver in True Romance. Yeah, uh, and you know Joe Joe Silver was not too uh, too happy about that, but. Um, this is one of my favorite movies ever. Like, it's my favorite, like, quotable movie. Like, you know, and I, I think the reason why the movie gets a pass is due to the script by Shane Black. Yes. You know, I'm, the, the great Shane Black. And, like, it's it's my favorite movie of his. You know, I, I know there's Lethal Weapon. There's fucking uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. And, Which and, is and, my favorite, yeah. Yeah, you know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you know, and all that stuff. The Nice Guys. But, like, I love this movie because of the dialogue. Like, the dialogue is some of the funniest shit I ever heard. Uh, like, just, um, like, like lines like, holy shit, we're being beat up by the inventor of Scrabble. <laughs> I've <laughs> been like, rolled uh, hard and put away wet is one I always remember. <laughs> uh, no, like, the one that always makes me laugh the hardest is um, when the kids uh, fucking throw the squirrel in him while he's sleeping in the car and they try to steal his watch. And then, like, he gets a, he gets a fucking, uh, he ends up talking to his buddy Mike later, played by uh, the great Bruce McGrill, Bruce McGill. And uh, he said, how you doing, Joe? I think I fucked the squirrel to death, and I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I love the conversation they have at the end when they're trying to come up. Like, well, you can't just punch somebody. You got to, like, if they got a surfboard, you got to say, surf's up, and then punch them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, or, or, like, they'll have, like, moments like, um, after, um, Joe has been kidnapped by the bad guys, and um, you know, of course, one of them being the the, the late great Taylor Negron. Um, where they was like, "Come on, Jimmy, think, think, think. What would Joe do? He'd shoot everybody and smoke some cigarettes." <laughs> <laughs> I love the way he goes. Yeah, is there a problem? <laughs> yes, officer. There's too many bullets in this gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's another great line. There's so many fucking great lines. Are like, uh, "Hey, hey, Joe." There's been an invention across the 21st century. It's called a razor. Too risky. I might start thinking about you and slip my wrist. <laughs> yeah, it's got a lot of fast life. I think I think uh, Tony Scott makes this movie look amazing. Yes, uh, And yes. there's stuff he pulls off. This movie's very expensive, I remember. Um, and it only made $39 million, which is actually the most success, <laughs> the most money of any of these movies. Um, but yet, somehow it cost so much that it didn't, it didn't make any money. But... I just the way it looks, and then he pulls off some stuff in there. Like I can't believe how well that helicopter slicing up Taylor Negron looks. It's just so great. Yeah. What a genius idea to cast him because he wasn't a villainous guy. He was always a sarcastic asshole in every comedy that I've ever seen. 
Yeah, yeah. And to, uh, to cast him as the main heavy, he's basically the Mr. Joshua of this movie. And the fact that he refers to, like, Joseph and James and yeah. all that stuff. Oh, Noble <laughs> Winningham. Oh, what a yeah. sleaze. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he, he's fucking... Uh, Fantastic, uh, you know, as a great, he's a great scumbag in this movie. I always love that scene where, uh, of course, you have uh, uh, Daniel Harris in there uh, playing uh, Joe's asshole daughter. And, um, like, uh, when, as they're holding her hostage, the fucking, uh, he's like, oh, we have, we're keeping your daughter here, but she can't keep her goddamn mouth shut. Eat shit, you fucking redneck. It's <laughs> hard because, you know, coming off the uh, Halloween movies and seeing her like this, like, oh, I, I, my brain can't compute this. What? <laughs> right, right, right. With, uh, um, when she, when she calls him a fuck up, <laughs> like, holy shit. Like, like that was, that was the introduction to like, you know, like, yeah. Cause she played this sweet little Jamie Lloyd in yeah. Halloween four and five. And then, like two years later after Halloween 5 you see her in this and she's got the foulest fucking mouth ever well she's pissed that Rachel died what can you <laughs> we all are <laughs> oh yes 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 we, we we really all are I'm still fucking mad about that the uh the I remember seeing this in the theaters my dad took me for my birthday and uh into the opening with Billy Blanks losing his mind and then like shooting himself and I was Fourteen. It was my fourteenth birthday, and I looked at my dad, and I go, "What kind of movie is this?" <laughs> like, like right, it, was the, right. it was like the darkest movie I think I had ever seen at that point. Yeah, like it, it's, it's a really dark way. Like you know, it's just you know the beauty of uh, Tony Scott. You know, to to the, the baldy way to you know he opened this movie with this joyous uh, song. Friday nights a great night for football, and then we got the scene with fucking Billy Blank shooting everybody on the football field and then blowing his own brains out. Ain't life a bitch? Is it weird that Billy Blank's nothing really happened? He did this in Time Bomb in '91, and then after that they just kind of like threw him over to direct video movies. I always think that's weird. They don't try to curate cultivate you know uh you know get yeah. some proteges going for new action stars simply like they're just like no we're done with them bye yeah yeah uh, also also he was also had a uh, point out uh, in 91 he had a bit part in uh, lionheart as well he was one of the people that uh, uh when uh leon escapes the foreign legion he he, uh, he fights billy in there but he really just fucks billy up he sweeps him and kicks him into a net or some shit but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speakman apparently is in that too, but I don't recall either one of them being in the movie. He, Speakman is after the big fight where, um, uh, damn, it's her, I'm, I'm fucking groggy and shit, so her name is escaping me. Uh, the, the main villainess in that movie, where she's trying to escape and she's trying to get into her limo and they fucking like, uh, tell her to come back because she has to take care of her marker because she owes all this money now yeah. Speakman is the one who gets her he has a mustache so he's unrecognizable but he's the <laughs> one who, one of those guys yeah he, he, he comes up to the limo he was like oh the house is you know want you to come back in so you could take care of your marker she's like the money's in New York I swear you know, but yeah that's where that's Speakman's uh, part in the film okay I'll have to watch it again um yeah, I think I think for me, uh, I I need to watch Revenge again, but I was too young at the time and I expected like this blowout action movie and I didn't realize what it was. But I'm more mature now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I'm gonna give it another shot. But I remember Days of Thunder being like this very expensive, boring ass movie. And Ooh, I'm sorry, don't... I think it's boring as hell. Car racing. <laughs> no, is boring. no, no, no. 
But, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I'm fine with you with your opinion. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I like the movie, but I'm fine with your opinion. I'm just saying, don't, don't let uh, our boy uh, I know. Mike Scott I know. hear that. No. He, he found out a... that I didn't like Top Gun, and he was like, "What the fuck?" And I was like, "I just yeah. don't. Uh, I'll yeah. take Iron Eagle." And he's like, "Are you out of your mind?" And I go, "Look, I just like no. Iron Eagle better." Yeah, no, no, I'm with you on Iron Eagle. Uh, me, me, and my my co-host, you know, the, my my best friend for over 30 years, Mac. We've been arguing over that for years because he's a Top Gun guy. I'm an Iron Eagle guy, and we've just been arguing that thing. It's an argument that would never end. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, I had a roommate that just made me watch. It's a long story, but I I saw it. Wait, it was forced on me. Okay, so maybe that's part of it. But um, yeah. I, this feels like you know he's trying to do a comeback, you know, a different, you know, more action oriented. Yes, there's lots of action if you consider cars driving around in a circle, but I mean he's trying to go back to what he did so well in Beverly Hills Cop Two. This looks like a perfect pairing, especially visually with Beverly Hills Cop Two. And then he mm -hmm. has True Romance, and I think the highly underrated The Fan. Um, yeah. But he went a while there without a hit, and that had to hurt a little bit. But thank God, you know, Enemy of the State made a buttload of money and then brought him back. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, that led to him into his, you know, I, I, I personally feel like, you know, you're welcome to disagree with me on this one, but uh, his greatest period is his experimental phase when he was doing movies like uh, 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 Man on Fire and Domino, and, you know, he, like he really just got wild and crazy with his cinematic yeah, style. Yeah, well, on the big screen, it made me nauseous. I saw Man on Fire on the big screen. I get triggered by visual problems. Um, mm -hmm. So like Natural Born Killers, I can never sit through again because it made me so nauseous. But uh, yeah. Man of Fire made me nauseous too. And Domino's great, but I, I really think <laughs> Deja Vu is I, my, oh. my favorite from that era. And that dude knew Caviezel was nuts. He knew. He could see it, and that's why he cast him, because Caviezel doesn't think he, thinks he's nuts, you know, whatever, but he is. And he just sells yeah. it. Yeah, like, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're all ingrained in action Twitter, and uh, Deja Vu came up. And a lot of people pointed that out, like, he had to have no, Kavizu was a fucking nut job. Yeah. And, like, he, he cast him to perfection in that motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, I still, I'm still a Ridley Scott guy, but I'm not going to do that competing, especially with him being gone. But I've always, like, but, when I hear the plot, I, I know what's going to happen with a Ridley Scott movie. I'm like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm completely sold. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess that's it for 1991. I'm sure there's stuff we missed in there. Like, but we're gonna either we've already done it or we're gonna do it soon on the show. Like we're doing Robin Hood and T2 and stuff like that. We did Point Break, I think twice. Um, yeah. But Point Break, I think, is might be the best action movie of '91. I'm trying to think. Uh, arguably, arguably. I think uh, it's, I, I I I would argue. I mean, of course, like you have T2, and a lot of people probably say that. Yeah, but, but um, if obviously if we're as a whole movie. I'm yes. going to go with Point Break because the, the relationships of Point Break yes. sell me more than the I, action. I, I would 100% agree with you on that. Um, it, the Point Break is just that movie where I, it's one of those movies that I think is just absolutely fucking perfect. You know, it, it, it's a complete package. It has everything, action, suspense, romance, drama, comedy. You know, it's, it's just, and, and, you know, Catherine Bigelow is just one of my, all-time favorite director she's has been that, that woman is a queen god bless her i wish she would come back and direct and you know show us how it's done with another action movie yeah. but you know she's doing serious stuff now because she's an oscar winner and you know i don't i don't blame her but i just wish she'd come back you know give us another point break or even another strange days uh well, I'm, 
another movie where I need to see it again because I was expecting tons of action and I was disappointed. But um, I heard rumors that there was a Point Break script about six, seven years ago, right before John Wick was starting to be put together, that Keanu Reeves was going to be the senior officer and uh, Bodhi's son was now a police officer and they were going to go undercover. Um, do, hmm. do you know if that's true at all? Um, I don't know. But, um, there, there was a lot of scripts that were you know, meant to be like a, a sequel to Point Break. I even heard one where it showed that Bodhi survived that fucking 50 foot tidal wave that crushes him at the end yeah and uh like he he goes on you know he puts together another merry band of uh, bank robbers and all that shit yeah, and it was just like the, the, I, I i'm i'm glad none of that happened because yeah i don't want to see a repeat movie. yeah yeah and then of course you know we ended up getting the fucking remake anyway Ugh, so, beautiful but, looking great stunts yeah. i didn't care like, i didn't care about no, any of it here, here let me tell you let me tell you i i think the first half of that remake is actually pretty good. I, I liked, you know, oh, that they did all the stunts in there for real. I like the relationship. It's when the film devolves into a fucking, uh, like a, a, a cop thriller. It's almost like they forgot that, you know, they would get so far to doing this philosophical stuff, adventure, action, all that stuff that, oh shit, we're a cop movie. And then it turns into a cop movie and then it completely fucking loses. Yeah. And then it's just like, ah, oh, whatever, fuck off. Um, so that is it for this episode. If you missed any action movies from 1991, sorry. <laughs> There's also a whole director <laughs> video world. I mean, we really tapped into because this is when video director video explodes with yes. uh, tons of great martial arts movies, and you know we're getting the launch of PM Entertainment. And, you know, they're starting to get bigger budgets and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But that's just too much to cover. But if you love listening to all kinds of movies, uh, especially action movies, what is your podcast? Uh, of course, um, uh, obviously, uh, I've, um, my show, formerly The Action Drunkies, has now become The Cinema Drunkies, which is, uh, instead of just doing just purely action movies, we now cover all movies, uh, you know, action, drama, comedy, horror, whatever, and all that stuff. Um, we decided to rebrand, and, you know, because me and Mac are just a lover of pure cinema. You know, we love all kinds of movies, so we wanted to talk all kinds of movies. So we decided to rebrand the show, and now we're known as the Cinema Drunkies, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I'm happier for it. Uh, you know, I love action movies. This is why I come here and talk action movies with you, and that's why I started that show initially. But, um, I've, you know, we kind of felt held back, you know, by just purely talking about action movies, and we wanted to talk about other stuff. And uh, so we became the Cinema Drunkies, and now we talk about uh, all kinds of movies now. So yeah, uh, Cinema Drunkies is as known now. We're uh, at Cinema Drunkies on Twitter, our official Twitter page, and of course you can find me uh, at the Cinema Drunkie on Twitter, and my boy Mac the All Star at Mac the All Star on his page, uh, his Twitter page, and yeah, um, I'm fairly happy now. Uh, I was kind of getting burnt out, which uh, I should tell you. When I got into podcasting and decided to start my own podcast, and Michael over here, uh, you know, he's been a great mentor to me, and he 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 fucking knew, I guess, because you you you've been doing this a while now. And he told uh, I me, think it's the eighth or ninth year. We started February of 2014. Yeah, and uh, and I remember you you know when you were giving me tips and all that stuff. You said like you know be careful, space yourself out because you will get burnt out. 
at a point in time, and that's exactly what fucking happened. Yeah. Well, also, you know, over the evolution of the eight, nine years I've been doing this, uh, that it's constantly evolving. I don't know how yes. people do the same formula over and over and over and over. If it's not, especially if it's not paying you, I get why the How Did This Get Made guys do that because they get like $100,000 per episode because they're selling tickets. Yes. We're not like them. We're just, you know, we have day jobs, and, uh, you know, I kind of want to keep it mixed up. You know, and uh, kudos to anybody who can stick the format, but I, my brain has never been designed that way, and it opens up the playing field. I don't like seeing yeah. people quit. Uh, sometimes it's yeah. relationships that fall apart, but a lot of it is just people get burnt out because, well, like what you originally started off, you were going to do a bunch of Star Trek, and just, I was like, dude, you can't yeah. do every single episode. You should pick select ones, whatever, and yeah. stuff like that I really think can burn you out. I can't imagine. Yeah. There's a Talking Simpsons podcast. What what new do they have to say after a hundred episodes? There's like a thousand episodes of Simpsons. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and uh, like yeah, but um, it's it, uh, I just uh, I I hit that point where it's just like, oh, you know, and it, it it you know that sad point where it's just like, do I even really want to keep doing this? And you know, and it's just like, um, there, there, there was a particular movie I wanted to discuss. Uh, it was old. And, you know, uh, I, I, I annoyed, because uh, I also do the House of Screams podcast with my dear friend Candy. And uh, we were doing an episode on Prince of Darkness, but I had just seen Old. And I kept bringing it up during the episode. And I annoyed her to the point where she said, we're, I'm never watching this fucking movie ever. Oh, because, no. Because Rob fucking mentioned Old 100,000 times in the episode. <laughs> So, like, I was like, all right, so that's never going to be an episode. So it's like I'm looking around, like, who's who's doing the podcast and wants to invite me on to talk old? And Mac is like, dude, we have a podcast. Let's just do old and do, it like, a special episode. And then it, 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 I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just do all movies. Let's rebrand and do all movies. And yeah. Mac was like, sure, let's do it. It, so it, just, that, yeah, it just makes it easier for you. Yeah, 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 and uh, you know our boy Mike, uh, Mike Scott. He he was you know, he was very supportive of that. He was like because you know I do. He does an action show. Uh, it was formerly Actions Undisputed. Now it's Action for Everyone that he does with Liam O'Donnell and the great Vice Victus. And he was like, yo, like there's so many movies I want to talk about, but I kind of you know pigeonholed myself, you know, doing action. And you know he, he like he was a big fan of the movie uh, Tick Tick Boom, and he's like I have nowhere to talk about it. You know, unless somebody invites me on this show to talk about it. Yeah. He's like, so it, it's, it's, I, I fully support your decision to do that, you know, because he, he sensed it himself. He was like, yeah, I, I could tell you were getting burnt out. Right. And, well, know, it's the same thing with Jacob. Fun. Jacob's been yeah. my co host since 2014, and our bread and butter for the longest time was cartoons. And then when mm -hmm. Jason, we just sat there going, we've discussed every cartoon we actually want to discuss. We've been filling in, like, we're just phoning it in for the last year with just this random shit just to keep it going. You know, and I get the feeling this happened with comedies. He's my go-to comedy guy, but this year I decided, okay, we need to branch out beyond comedies because you're going to get bored. Let's do action. Let's do drama. So just kind of mixing it up with everybody. Like, I don't, I offered you, I was like, if you get tired of talking about action movies, just pick anything, just any four movies and we're good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just, yeah, like, and I, I love all cinema and so does Mac. And Mac really loves movies that, uh, you know, like a brain food, make him think. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, I mean, there are many exceptions, but action movies don't really 
do that, you know what I'm saying? Give you like stuff to chew on mentally. So it, it was also to help him out because he like he kind of felt like in, stuck in the mud. Yeah, Lawrence, well, I'm an goes. idiot who will gladly discuss the stupidest movies ever made. And yes, I feel no <laughs> guilt in seeing every single Polly Shore movie in the theater and still loving them. Don't you dare give me shit. <laughs> it's a, uh, I, I, I'm saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's a very particular audience. The same people who said Waterworld was shit when I was in uh, college. <laughs> Someone asked me oh, about, well, are you a moron? Well, Why would you like Waterworld? I just did. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Waterworld's fucking awesome. Anybody who doesn't like Waterworld is a fun hater. <laughs> you hate fun. That's what I'm going to say. That's my new response. <laughs> All right, so we're going over an hour now. Time to wrap it up. I'm an old man, okay, people? I ain't got the lungs that I used to. Um, oh, yeah, same here. <laughs> uh, it's not like radio. Like, this is where I started off in radio, and you just say something for like 30 seconds and go into the next song. Carrying a conversation this whole time. Woo! I pooped. All right, so check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and all the podcast hosts under Hit Rewind Podcast. And that is it for me. And Rob, send us out. Uh, check you guys out later, and see you soon in the next episode. Hope you enjoy. See, this time I prompted him instead of just sitting there awkwardly in silence and expecting him to say something because I'm an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> all right, everybody. Good night. <laughs>